Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is February 26, 2023. More days until this month is out. And it is um, pretty much going out at the speed of a snail with a lot in between. There is so much going on. So much. It is almost impossible to comprehend. This war is continuing. It is stronger. It is harder. It is faster. And I'm going to tell you what. So for my subscribers on Subscribestar, I've actually panned out like four or five episodes, like portions of it, uh, mapping it out because I think it's really, really important right now. Remember, I've always been saying that it's not about the who, the what, and the where, but the how, right? The method. And I uh, had put them all out and, you know, I'm not super tech, whatever, and on audio, okay? I don't pretend to be, but for some reason, I lost them all. Like they were corrupted, all of them. I had no idea. And I, I was working on a computer that I don't use for backend access. Um, it's pretty much just, you know, for writing stuff that I don't care if someone sees. How's that? And um, I was plowing through uh, temporary files, pulled them up. Uh, my introduction was corrupt, had to do that and piecing together things using the knowledge I have to piece together what I had put for you. So as I was working on that yesterday, I got frustrated at some point, put it down and I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to wake up bushy eyed, <laughs> bushy tail, wide eyes in the morning and get it done. And I did because I believed I could. And so I did kind of, and I've already sent them off to my archivist um, to make the little pieces that I found, like fragment it and put it together and make it sound okay. Uh, What's funny is, is that when I was pulling up the pieces, I had said something, you know, Friday where I had started, well, it was Thursday actually that I started to record it last Thursday, um, that was said by Bloomberg almost that he bought them. And that's the thing. What you're seeing, the tools that you see are nothing but tools. The people in office are nothing but tools. They are bought and paid for by interest. And hopefully we are now starting to see what those interests are. Their interest is a tangible kingdom that they want to hold, mold, and destroy on their own. And um, we are seeing that come to fruition. The coronavirus, wow, very symptomatic on time, I would say, and on scale, and how the media is trying to cause panic, but not cause panic at the same time, which great, great thing for us is that now we question everything and we question those in power and we question those that can give answers to find out what's really going on. Remember yesterday I tweeted out, why is Pelosi in Chinatown? That was a very big deal out of all places. Why Chinatown? And you know, we have CBS this morning asking if we're ready for a severe coronavirus outbreak. And the president said that he will be addressing this, um, you know, today at 6 p.m. The coronavirus that we know specific chemicals eradicate. This is not what we are being told. And sometimes not telling 
is for reason of another. Like I've said, this is targeted. Targeted. So I want you to listen to CNN Sanjay Gupta terrify the world with his statements. I found it appalling that he would even do something like that. Like, why would he answer questions on the coronavirus when he himself doesn't know what the coronavirus really is? Listen to how CNN is pushing fear throughout not only the nation, but globally. And when President Trump says that they are the, they should be ashamed of their actions. He's right. These are unforgivable crimes against the people. 6 p.m. Up until now, his main concerns has seemed to be the stock market reaction to coronavirus, mm. as far as we can tell. And, and now we're hearing from scientists at the CDC, as we've uh, been talking about for a little bit of time, uh, describing the likelihood that this could start to develop uh, and start to spread, rather, the coronavirus in communities here in the United States. I mean, to be fair, that is something the public health officials have been saying for, for some time. Uh, they've been saying, look, you look at these, these extraordinary measures that are taking place in China, the largest quarantine in the history of the world, the policies, the travel restrictions, all of that they say was really designed to slow this down, not stop it. It's a, it's a tiny little virus. It doesn't respect boundaries and, and borders. You know, I talked to, to Dr. Redfield, who's the head of the CDC, last week and asked him about worst case scenarios here. And, and here's how he put it. This virus is probably with us beyond this season or beyond this year. And I think eventually the virus will find a foothold and we will get community-based transmission and uh, you can start to think of it in a sense like uh, seasonal flu. And uh, the only difference is we don't understand this virus. I, I really pushed him on this point. And again, it, will, it could be with us, not just beyond this season, but beyond this year. It's going to gain a foothold and start to spread. That's what the head of the CDC is saying. Obviously, that's at odds with, uh, with what we've heard from the president, that it will fizzle away and go away. So I, I think that that's, that's part of what's, what's prompting this news conference. Sanjay, this has Amer Americans very worried. I mean, I hear people talking about it all the time. They want answers. One of the things that I know you have um, been wrestling with what the answer is, how is it spread? How do people catch the coronavirus? Well, I think the primary way that this is spread is from somebody who is sick and coughs and sneezes and creates these respiratory droplets that are full of virus. Someone else breathes those droplets in, and that's primarily how they get ill. Oh, wait a minute. Did he actually say the truth? Because for some reason, people think that this is just in the air. So remember, we talked about this. There's a difference between a bacterial infection and a viral infection. Viral infections cannot exist without, um, you know, bodily fluids, biological fluids, because they're, they're, they're parasites in essence, right? They, they require a host in order to replicate and survive. And they only survive because they replicate and they don't communicate. They just replicate, right? They're RNA, no DNA, RNA. Now, Having said that, having said that, and I'll get to that later, um, sometimes DNA, mitochondrial DNA, or the ability to survive with your own energy doesn't really, doesn't really, is not really needed for specific organisms. And we'll get into that. That was really freaky what I just said, but it, it'll make sense. Um, 
But, you know, the the thought, oh, yeah, you know, when the weather opens up, uh, you know, it'll go away. It's not because it needs a cold environment to survive. Okay, you have to understand that for humans to contract, right, you need to have a doorknob, a table, something that has been touched and has some, you know, teardrops, spit, mucus, whatever, some bodily fluid right, on some surface. And what happens? Scarves, jackets, hats, gloves, all of those. This is why we cough in our arm, in our, you know, in our elbow and not our hand, because even if you cough, there's a little bit of spit, right? And so that's how it's transmitted. Why? When it's cold, you wear more clothes. And when you're cold, you stay indoors. And when you're indoors, more than likely, you're going to be with more than one person indoors. You're not going to be in a room completely isolated. Hence the proliferation of sickness. For example, how many of you have ever traveled on an airplane and, you know, when you're done with your trip, you have airplane cooties, right? That's a real thing. You're enclosed in an area with a bunch of people and you're sharing the same air and the same handles, toilets sinks. Everyone's touching everything. Think about it. That's how you transmit a virus very easily. So it's the coming in. So the warmer the weather, the more people are outside, the more people are, you know, not bundling up, right? The more people are not huddled together and not wearing a lot of items or in environments where there is a lot of common touching, like even rainy season has more, um, uh, statistics it's, when it's raining, you have more probability of catching a cold or a virus from someone because people use umbrellas and they all put them in one umbrella place. So a lot of people touch that stuff. Hence, you know, blah. So I just wanted to point that out for all those people panicking. Oh my gosh, it's in the air. But we also know that it can, it can stay on surfaces for up to days and people can touch those surfaces and possibly uh, infect themselves. And we also know, and again, I talked to Dr. Redfield about this in detail, that even someone who's not sick, who, who has either minimal symptoms or, or no symptoms, can also shed the virus, shed the virus from their body and potentially uh, be contagious as a result of that. The primary driver is still going to be sick people, but uh, th there are these other ways that it can spread as well. How do you protect yourself? How does Allison protect herself from me? Thank you. Uh, you as I know what she's thinking. As I, as I hack, you know, up my lungs during commercial break here. No. How do you protect yourself, especially if you can get it from people who aren't symptomatic? Yeah, I hope you're not truly hacking up your lungs in, in, in commercial break because if you're sick, you, you should stay home. I mean, and that's a basic rule and, and people who are healthy should avoid sick people. The, the, the basics apply here. You know, it, you heard Dr. Redfield say this is behaving very much like a flu virus. How do you protect yourself against the flu? Well, you have a flu vaccine, which by the way, not even half the country gets. That's a separate point. But with regard to this, what would you do to protect yourself from the flu? Avoid sick people, wash your hands often, try not to touch surfaces, disinfect areas that may have been contaminated. And then, you know, if we start to see social, uh, we start to see community spreading, then there's, there's this term that, that public health officials use called social distancing distancing yourself from people at that point, staying home, maybe from work, keeping the kids from school, uh, looking around your house and saying, look, if we do get into this point for a couple of weeks where we're worried about community spread, do I have enough supplies in the house uh, to, to be okay? Do I have my prescription meds? Do I have kids supplies? Uh, hospitals are going to need to think about this in terms of surge capacity within hospitals. So all these different things go into place. I, I do want to give context because all that sounds really scary and I get it, but keep in mind that for the vast majority of people, 
even if they do get this infection, they will have minimal or no symptoms. 80%, according to some of the largest studies, have minimal or no symptoms. People who are more likely to be, uh, to be really uh, affected by this are people who have pre-existing illnesses, people who are elderly, similar to what we see with flu. Sanjay, is there any way to capture how worried people should be today on a scale of one to 10 from what you've seen in your... Tell us how much panic should the American people have because President Trump is not capable of keeping the flu under control. Experience with SARS, H1N1, just, you know, your life as a doctor on a scale of one to 10, how worried should the average American be? Right, right now, I think the, the worry is, is still low. Um, uh, you know, I think there's 57 people in this country uh, who have been uh, conclusively diagnosed with this, uh, this infection. There could be more, again, who don't have any symptoms or have minimal symptoms. Um, but I think we've got to take what we're hearing from the CDC, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and really make sure that people are acting on that. You hear Dr. Redfield say that, look, this could become something that starts to spread within communities. One person spreads it to three people. Those three people then spread it to three more each and so on. And when you start to get generational spreading like that, it's going to be something that's commonplace. Let me show you H1N1 numbers for a second. You, some of you may remember this. This was back in 2009. I... And some of you remember that I told you that I was like fired when I was working on that group with that vaccine that actually perpetuated H1N1. And you know what H1N1 was? Let me explain to you. So for every nefarious activity you want to happen or for whatever goal you have to do something, like for example, you want to go to the supermarket, what is your vehicle to get there? Your car, your feet, your train, your bus. So for the flu vaccine, right? If you want to supposedly prevent the flu... Or in, you know, change people's DNA so they're susceptible to other things. I'm just saying you need a vector, a mean, a mode of transportation. Think of it that way. So they used to use avion cells, meaning chicken eggs. You guys have heard it before, right? They use chicken eggs and vaccines and whatever, right? Mm. Well, that was the first year they used porcine cells. Those are made of pork, right? Piggy, swine, Okay. And so why did they do this? Because do you remember the avian flu? Oh, that only happened in China. Did it though? Avian flu, a flu that you got because of a flu vaccine you got that had chicken or a specific bird avian cell in it. Uh Aha. But we didn't use the same birds here and it was just a normal flu. Are you understanding where I'm going with this? So the H1N1 was a piggy flu. Why? Because we use piggy cells. And you would say, well, that's weird. We're not supposed to be getting diseases that animals get. Well, if your DNA has a little bit of piggy in it, because I don't know, you got a vaccine that kind of alters your DNA just a little bit while it trains it to supposedly avoid something else, well, then you are susceptible because then your cells have a little bit of piggy DNA in them too. And that proliferates. So you got a little pig in you. That doesn't sound good. Hence why they're using aborted baby cells to now change the genetic code through vaccinations. And this is why they need Planned Parenthood too, because how else will they be able to avoid all this autism and, you know, all this experimentation? Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. But wasn't autism like from metals? Well, 
Could it be conflicting genetic codes from vector cells used in vaccines? I'm just saying. So we don't need to listen to how it proliferated and went on in 2009 because we know the science behind it, right, guys? We know that whatever cell you use is what it changes. You want to hear crazy, huh? Reprogramming, huh? You can't put foreign DNA in yourself without it being absorbed. Whatever you put in your body is absorbed. Only toxic waste is excreted through the way of, you know, number one and number two. Everything else is learned by your body. Your immune, your immunity, just so you understand that you have your immune defense is actually trained in your gut. Did you know that? And do you know what is HIV? HIV is where your gut creates um, an immune type cell that attacks every single cell in your body. And there's research that demonstrates that that derives from the gut area where everything else is trained all your immunity comes from your gut hence why they used to call it the gay disease right they used to call it why because dna gut you you know what i'm trying to say right okay and that's why they used to call it that because it was easily transferable or manifested this is where they alter things there's a lot people don't seem to understand about science and we just take it as they give it to us but there are steps as to why things happen you know a lot of people were you know using the simile well you know when you put a fruit in the fridge it'll last longer than on the counter well it's not because of the cold environment it's because it is in a sense but not because it's protecting the fruit itself but it's protecting it from the gases that fruits emit you know that are more um, quicker to go around it atmospherically to degrade it, right? Have you guys seen that, um, the commercials uh, where it's like, oh, buy these green bags and, you know, those lean gases won't be coming out and your bananas will stay more yellow, blah, 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 right? You can have it in the fridge or on your counter. They'll still stay longer. Why? Because it takes away that gas. So when it's in the fridge, the gas is just a little bit slower to move because, come on, science, right? Air, heat makes gas move faster. Um, You know, when you boil water, gas moves faster, right? When it's in a colder environment, gas doesn't move. It can turn into water or a solid or, you know, condensation, blah, 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 right? Basic science. But here's where we get all the frivoly stuff where they tell you how much you need to panic and how much you need to worry. Again, weaponizing situations, making the best out of a crisis. Always. That is what they do. The best out of, (laughs) out of a crisis. So the coronavirus is something that is concerning to the Democrats, of course, and something that everybody really needs to be scared of and panic. And they They seem to be all over that right now. He's not doing enough. So here, I want us to listen to um, the Democratic leaders that held a press conference about um, an hour or so. Well, it was like two hours ago. I just want you to hear just, just a little bit of it. And, you know, here's the cringe. Let's go. By the way, they have um, they have kids um, with um, tracheal. Thank you for your presence here today um, uh, at the caucus meeting. 
they uh, have kids with um, tracheal tubes on for- wheelchairs, you know, all moaning and upset being, you know, they need props and they're using sick children for props. So that's number one. I just wanted to mention that. So that moaning you were hearing were actual children that are severely ill at, used as props during their press conference. I just wanted to point that out. From Bobby Rush on the anti-lynching a legislation that will be on the floor later on this evening. The first time an anti-lynching bill was introduced in the Congress, it was in 1918. And there have been over 200 attempts to get an anti-lynching bill signed into law uh, that have been unsuccessful. Uh, we plan to be successful today. Uh, there's a companion bill that the Senate has moved on. Uh, And we look forward to moving this legislation at some point soon to the president's desk. uh, And we're confident that he will sign it into law. Oh, now that the Jussie Smollett thing failed, right, with the whole, you know, step it up. And, oh, my gosh, they put a noose around his neck, everything. And it's been time. It's been a year. He's been found guilty. They put another colored dude right on the TV. Look at me. I'm colored. I'm brown. I'm black. You should listen to me because it's really important and you're just going to sign it. Um, Putting it in there. The anti-lynching bill will be so you don't lynch them. Huh, in the next coming four years, because once the people are fully awake, even though your eye is always drawn to the light, sometimes people prefer to avoid it for um, survival reasons. But listen, <laughs> this is a really big deal, okay? Later on this week, uh, there will also be legislation to deal with the rise in the vaping epidemic uh, and the rise of flavored e-cigarettes that are clearly designed to target uh, young people, communities of color uh, in a way. Here we go. Racist card. Oh, which, by the way, I just wanted to say I tweeted it out, but I thought I'd mention it. Um, Oh, my gosh. So the Department of Justice, I just wanted to. This is kind of breaking. I was waiting for this. Remember how I always said that if Ilhan Omar entered the country with a fake name, with a fake birthday, under fake pretenses, just like every other migrant that came through the Kenyan camp paying dollar, dollar, dollar on behalf of the Lutheran Social Services. Remember how I said on that premise they should have their naturalization citizenship ship revoked remember when i said that well i just tweeted out that you know um i tweeted this out about uh ooh, 15 minutes ago 16 minutes ago that the justice department just created a section dedicated to denaturalization cases what does that mean that means uh-oh you thought you were slick or taking away your naturalized you are no longer an american citizen go back to where you came from what ilhan should be scared i'm just saying that right now we'll talk about it tomorrow more just let that percolate in the background as they speak and tell you all this rubbish um you know well it's not really rubbish the e-cigarettes and the flavor targeting children is correct the people of color so dumb so dumb like yeah because white kids yellow kids polka dot kids whatever kids won't smoke them It's just black kids they're going after. Jesus. This is the division that makes you sick. Sick. That has devastating health consequences. Uh, And of course, most importantly, as we will hear from momentarily, uh, we heard from the little lobbyists on the importance of the continued fight uh, to protect health care for everyday Americans. Our fight 
to protect people with pre-existing conditions, to lower health care costs, to increase access for every single American to high quality, affordable health care is not a paper fight. It is a fight with real life consequences. And that is why the presentation from the little lobbyists earlier today and their presence here today uh, has been so meaningful for us because this is an administration that has systematically attacked the health care of everyday Americans from day one and has resulted in the loss of tens of thousands of children from their health care providers in a meaningful way as a recent study uh, just confirmed. So we'll hear. The kids don't even want to be there. They're crying and they have these kids that have trachs standing there as props and they're crying in the background and they're just, you know, like, oh, you want to shut the kid up? Want to shut? You could see the lady doing that mom smile like mm. from uh, a little lobbyist momentarily. But let me now yield to our vice chair, Catherine Clark. Thank you so much, Hakeem. And I just want to underscore that what we heard from the President in the State of the Union was that he was going to protect pre-existing conditions. Pre-existing conditions are exactly what the... Okay, hold on. We're just going to hold off on the commercial just one second. ...little lobbyists have and why they are here with their moms fighting for the ACA, fighting for health care for everyone. You can cannot say you are protecting people with pre-existing conditions and be in federal court trying to undo the ACA. Wow. Okay. Misinformation. Oh, dear. We're going to break into that right after the break, okay? We need to hear our president's advertisements. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we were at the point where the Democrats are convincing everyone that, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act is necessary in order to um, maintain uh you know, the integrity or keep and ensure that people with pre-existing conditions uh, are covered. And that's a lie. The lie is because you don't need to do that in order to uh, cover pre-existing conditions. Uh, you don't at all. Um, what you need is to make sure that the government maintains the, um, I would say, point of, how do you say, primary interest in your care. There we go. That's exactly what the Affordable Care Act did. And it allowed for all types of industries to access your health information in, in that spiel that they tell you, we won't share or disseminate your, your, your private health information unless allowed by federal law. Well, that's the federal law that lets your car insurance company access your stuff. That's the law that allows your bank to look into your stuff, your school, your potential employer. That's the law, the ACA. That's why it needs to be shut down. But you know, facts, we can't have facts, you know, being spoken. So after they paraded these around and this witch spoke, another little girl comes up uh, called the little loyalists. Take a listen. Thank you, chairman. 
Good morning, members of the press. Uh, my name's Elena. I am here with my daughter, Ziomara, um, along with who you saw, our friends Aaron and Abby. On behalf of Little Obvious, we are a family-led group of um, uh, families advocating for our children with complex medical needs and disabilities. And we are here today because we are concerned about the threats to the health care that our children need to survive and thrive. Zumara here uh, spent the first five months of her life in the neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, she was born with serious medical conditions affecting her airway, lungs, heart, and kidneys. She uses a tracheostomy to breathe, a ventilator for additional support, a feeding tube for all of her nutrition, and a wheelchair to get around and explore the world around her. I'm thrilled to tell you that Zumara is thriving today. Uh, she is happy, kind, funny, clever, a little bit naughty. Uh, she goes to school and loves to play and loves to meet new friends and go to the playground and read books and paint and that's all because of her access to affordable quality health care. We're here today because there are millions of families like ours filled with anxiety and fear about our future because of this administration's relentless attacks on our health care and on the disability community. Wow. So this is the lowest of the low to bring your kid out and say that they only have health care now because of this. Well, what happened to all the other kids before the Affordable Care Act? My daughter was in an incubator from May up until August. So tell me again from when she was born up until August. So that's like, you know, the first few months of her life. She was in a NICU unit in an incubator. Uh, you know, we didn't have the Affordable Care Act. And guess what? Didn't. Well, you know, different situation for me. So, mm-hmm. but it doesn't cost. You're not going to go bankrupt and the government isn't going to hound you down to pay because you want your baby to survive because of X, Y, Z. You know what sucks? I'm going to tell you straight. Hospitals, when they get complex cases with children or adults, do you know how much money they make by researching your health or by adding you as a statistic Let's see. Let's pretend someone has Addison's disease, right? And, you know, they're being looked at by various doctors. They're running tests. Well, all your tests, all your results are shared with a a group of researchers that actually get paid tons of money to research how to avoid that disease. They get millions of funding to research how to avoid it. And where do they get their information? Oh, that's right. You. But in the end, you're paying them to give them information, right? You're paying them to make you better and at the same time give them all your information so that way they can use it and become even richer. So you're paying them twice, Um, one right out of your pocket. Doesn't make sense and it doesn't sound fair, but it's so true. And this is why with um, neonatal diseases, uh, it's really hard for people to be charged because of the amount of money for, um, you know, that hospitals get for sharing information. That's another part of the Affordable Care Act that a lot of people don't visit. So shifting gears with the rubbish that they were talking about, um, I thought that we could actually go to last week. So last week, we talked about the European Commission. We talked about 
um, their moves. And it was only yesterday through a conversation with a very dear friend of mine um, early in the day that said, yo, was Pelosi in Brussels? And I thought, oh, yeah, totally was. Um, yeah, maybe I should talk about it because it's important because there is a picture of her looking not so hot across the table where it looked like they were uh, jumping at her. Funny enough, while she's in that meeting, she's not wearing her little staff lapel pin, right? I just wanted to point that out. But they did talk about it. And there was a congressional delegation with her. You want to guess who else went? Yeah, of course. NATO headquarters, of course. I want you guys to um, take a listen to a little bit of this um, conference. You got to be really old to know what sea rations are. But this was a very, very special event because of the commitment and everybody that uh, was here today and to our allies that we've got to stick together. And by doing this, this is a, a, a big statement. And thank you very much for everything you've done. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Susan Davis. I'm from San Diego, California. And I am a proud member of the NATO Parliamentary Assembly and also a rapporteur for the Science and Technology Committee. And I'm very pleased to be here. You know, as politicians, we learn very, very early uh, that 85% of your job as a representative is showing up. Frankly, I think it's more than that. <laughs> I think we have to be there for our constituents. They feel it when you are present. And so in the same way, I think it's very, very important. We will always be here in force when it comes to NATO. One of the things I wanted to mention very quickly, because we've spent a lot of time talking about Afghanistan from the Munich conference and here. We've spoken with General Secretary Stoltenberg about it. We've spoken with Ambassador Hutchinson as well. And our message is a very strong one. We know that women's rights are enshrined in their constitution. But we're gonna be a little skeptical as things move forward and we await some of the announcements regarding hope for negotiations, hope for a ceasefire. And what's important to recognize is that we're not just talking about women's rights. We know that in the United States as well, just being at the table, why that's important is not always the full answer, but it's... Okay, I want you guys to re-listen to that part. Hold on, let's talk about the... Let's go there. When it there comes to NATO. One of the things I wanted to mention very quickly, because we've spent a lot of time talking about Afghanistan from the Munich conference and here. We've spoken with General Secretary Stoltenberg about it. We've spoken with Ambassador Hutchinson as well. And our message is a very strong one. We know that women's rights are enshrined in their constitution. But we're gonna be a little skeptical as things move forward and we await some of the announcements regarding hope for negotiations, hope for a ceasefire. What did you hear that? So women's rights, ceasefire in Afghanistan, all coming down to it, right to abortion, right to choice. What do you make of that? Now let's skip over to the next dude. This is committee. Before I was a member of Congress, it was the honor of my life to uh, be an army officer in the United States Army. And I served shoulder to shoulder with a lot of our allies and partners, including NATO and Afghanistan and uh, other partners in Iraq as well. 
And I learned during that period that it wasn't just important that we do that, but it was absolutely essential because we could not complete the mission without our partners. We are strong, though, not just because of the commitment that we have militarily, but the, the alliance that has existed for over 70 years uh, is obviously a military alliance. At its All right, so let's stop it right there. I'm going to give you a sneak peek into episode two, and um, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to like tell you the list of the five components that make up our global governments. And that is the Club of Rome, also known as UN slash NATO, the International Socialists, the Trilateral Committee, Council of Foreign Relations, and Bilderberg. What this clown is referring to is the power that they have the mitigating group of five, right? Five on five, man, that mitigate humanity with them or the hierarchy or some people like to call them, I don't know, the elder brothers sounds something like you know, the, the, what are the, what's that show called again? The one with the vampire brothers, whatever, elder brothers. Don't dismiss it, but you know, don't discount it because it sounds out there. You know, the truth is, of way stranger than fiction. So this guy is praising them in their home right now, in their home. That's height, but it's strong and it has endured through recessions, through wars, through changes in leadership in all of our countries because of shared values. Those values are still as relevant as ever. They are still as, raw, as, as important as ever. And that, was, that, that is what will make our alliance endure. The challenges we face are actually more complex than we've ever faced, from climate change, the great power competition, to terrorism, to cyber warfare, to artificial intelligence. And because of these complex and overlapping challenges, uh, it makes it more essential than it has ever been that we collaborate. Now, there's been some discussion over the last couple of years about debate and friction in the alliance. Uh, now, I'm somebody that thinks that when you're a family, when you have a strong relationship, it is actually a sign of strength to have the confidence to be able to debate and have tough conversations. Right. The Council of Foreign Relations lately has been trying to slow the train down, you know, on this whole um, rollout. But people are becoming very, very um, impatient. I mean, did you know that for frequencies to actually change frequencies of light or um, half-lives of certain very important things. It, it's about uh, 5,125 cycles. Do you know when that cycle would have ended when we're carbon, cop car carbon copying, <laughs> carbon dating things? Yeah. Um, that was actually done. Um, the, the, the rotation of the cycle would have been done 5,183 cycles ago. Pretty interesting. That means we're resonating on a different frequency. Hmm. Interesting. So anyway, let's skip to Pelosi. Let's see how she responds when she's at the core of this demonic uh, group here. Because it's um pretty interesting how you hear her speak here. Any other questions? Wall Street Journal, uh, Daniel Michaels. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned trade and that uh, clearly has been a bone of contention between the two sides and even touched on security because security was a justification for the president's tariffs. Uh, where, where did you think the situation on trade stands and is there um, in Congress 
is there a feeling that Europe needs to do more or is the feeling that things are in the right direction? Thank you. Okay, before she speaks, I just want you guys to understand the visual. They're all standing on this small stage. They look like they're the kids that are in trouble at the front of the class. I kid you not. Because Pelosi got her tushy handed to her. Because they invested in her. I mean, after all, do you know what? I'm gonna, I gonna. I say it in my second episode, but I'm going to tell you. Did you know that Mueller um, is part of the Lucius Trust? Just pointing it out. Before I, I take your question and share it with my colleagues, I did want to call on Mr. Dunn, who is also a, a veteran uh, who has served our country so well for any comments he may have on everything else that he has heard here. Wait a minute. They asked her a question, like, is, it, is enough being done? She's like, yeah, you know, I'll take your question, my colleague. Let me bring up another veteran, you know, another pony show here that, you know, has served in stuff, and he can, like, tell you tons of stuff on stuff that we talked about stuff about. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Uh, as uh, the Speaker mentioned, I, I was an Army physician for a long time. That it actually has assisted me in my congressional career. We recently had the coronavirus break out, and in my former life, I worked in the Army Institute of Re- Re- Research Institute of Infectious Diseases up at Fort Detrick. So it, uh, it's very helpful to be able. Interesting how he's at the delegation last week, and then Pelosi went to Chinatown yesterday. Call up my old pals and ask them some questions about that and uh, so I've, I've enjoyed my time up here I also want to say there's a complete 100% commitment on the part of America to remaining in NATO and making sure it remains strong and I think that is as she the speaker said a very bipartisan attitude thank and you his twin brother is, has served and played wow you know a lot I thought you were going to share Wow, Pelosi, you know a lot about my brother and my family. That's really uncomfortable. Yeah, reinforcing the insurance right there. Any information your twin brother gave you about uh, trade? Any of my com- Another twin brother. That's interesting. On the Ways and Means Committee, Brendan. Yeah, Brendan Boyle, Pennsylvania, a proud member of the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, uh, as well as a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, which has jurisdiction. And Council of Foreign Relations. Jurisdiction over trade. And so while our negotiations with Canada uh, and Mexico for the replacement of NAFTA and USMCA took a lot of attention last year, as well as the ongoing bilaterals with China, I hope, and I think many of us in the Ways and Means Committee on a bipartisan basis, are hopeful we will get back to what was a big discussion in terms of TTIP at the tail end of 2015 and 2016 and then got uh, disrailed. So you saw through the USMCA process, a real bipartisan achievement uh, of, of many of us on, on this stage, uh, I'm pretty hopeful that we could have a strong U.S.-EU comprehensive trade deal, even with the U.K. extricating itself from the European Union. The European Union still represents a large percentage of world GDP, a market of almost 500 million people, uh, and obviously a natural partner for the U.S. in terms of shared values. So uh, I am what shared values. Okay. Communism. Okay. Next. Join together. Uh, the uh, synergy of these two big markets together is bigger than the sum of its parts. So, Last question, uh, Jonathan Stearns. Anybody wants to speak? Just speak. She's like, yeah, anybody wants to say anything, just speak because I just can't. 
Thank you. I'm from Bloom. I'm Jonathan Sturz from Bloomberg. Uh, Mr. Speaker, could you please um, tell us after your meetings today in downtown Brussels at the Commission and the Council, are there differences fundamentally in your view of the threats posed by Huawei and Chinese technology uh, and the views of the Europeans, or is there much more common ground than, it, than headlines might suggest? Question. Let me let me let me translate that question. Okay, so Pelosi, you met with the EU Council, and you were kind of sitting in the corner by yourself, just by yourself, and all of them looking at you. So they want Huawei, they want five G tech. Your government doesn't. Do you stand by what your government says, or are you with them? Because we need to figure out where you stand. Thank you. Anyone she doesn't look happy. In, I'll, I'll begin by saying this. Wait a minute. The question was like, they want her to talk about what's going on. She's like, anybody else want to talk? Okay, let me start like this. Uh, as you probably know, the EU has established some criteria uh, that they have agreed to, uh, that if company, whatever direction a country may want to take, it has to have those certain I don't know if the word is protection, but those standards set there so that they're not going down the autocratic path, but a democratic path. Now, that's a consensus in, in the EU. Countries individually will do what they do, and as you know, there's some differences of opinion. And we want to point out uh, that while some people say, well, it's cheaper to do Huawei. Well, yeah, because it's a uh, People's Liberation Army developed... Uh, initiative using reversed engineering from America, uh, Western technology. So, of course, it's going to be cheaper to put on the market. And if it's cheaper, they get the market share and then they bring in their autocracy of uh, uh, lack of privacy and other entities. So, uh, so again, because of price, people are saying, well, I can afford it better. That shouldn't be the reason to take it because you, what you might gain in price, you lose in values. In addition to that, there's some uh, economic uh, threats by the Chinese to companies. Uh, if you don't, if you don't, if if you don't take Huawei as your country, we won't be doing these deals. Well, that's totally unacceptable. And again, I would hope that there would be the maturity uh, of these countries to understand that for the benefit of a few corporations, you cannot sell the privacy of the uh, the people of your country down the river. As I but they already did. That's the sweet part. They've already done it, but now they've gotten caught. So they can't do it because it's all out in the open because the light has been shown and people are like, well, wait a minute. You're like totally selling my private. Image. Wait a minute. You're totally let him hijacking it. Wait a minute. Um, I'm not comfortable with this. Wait a minute. My taxes are not funding this. Wait a minute. Not voting for this. And China's like, dude, you created us. You told us to do this. We're supposed to knock off and slip. Oh, uh, American. I mean, Western. Oh, you mean not American? Oh, so China didn't steal American stuff? Let's just change it and say Western just to make it. Let's just cover it up. They're having a lot of slips lately. Seems like, you know, they're missing a few nutrients or something. But that's the thing. China is now supposedly blackmailing them. Mm. All for show. This is just an illusion. And, oh, it's so funny because now that they're threatening nations like, you know, the crown, the EU, because EU is a nation. It is not the communist experiment, but the socialist experiment, right? There are two experiments going on in the 40s. 45, it was decided. Communism. We're going to hit China with it. And then the EU was going to be the socialist experiment. 
both failing miserably, of course, but you know, and for all of you out there that think that we're a democracy or we're a republic, you're totally wrong. We are one. We have more socialism here than they do in China. And you could take that to the bank. We've just gotten it with installments. Every single aspect of your life is controlled. And you may think it's controlled by a private company, but behind that private company is a government agency. And the government agency is created by private companies because your government is a private corporation. So, you know, Washington, District of Columbia, not really a state. I'm just like, mm, just uh, getting too detailed here. Let's just stick to this. The EU's upset. Pelosi's in trouble. President Trump is in his check and they have no power to stop this because they cannot stop what's coming. What has come, what is at their doorstep. Punishment to China, take that with the coronavirus. Very targeted. I mean, vaccines and all, right? Vectors and all, right? What family class did I tell you the coronavirus falls with? Did I tell you it has to do with some cat disease? I'm just pointing it out. Everything they have done was calculated for almost a century in regards of implementation, the planning. Okay, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show for the second hour. Um, we're, I'm just going to like reiterate so everyone's like exploding with this news, not really super news because it's for a while, but I guess, you know, you know, since the DOJ finally announced it, and I've been talking about it for a year, citizenship can be revoked when you lie to get it. And this has already been done in the past. We've already had cases like that done in the past. And I said it, and we're going to see it happen. So a lot of news organizations are now... <laughs> What? What does this mean? Well, you know, if you falsified your information to come to this country, like your name and date of birth, uh, you know, all that um, nullifies your application, doesn't it? So, but you know what I want to know? And this is going to come back. Speaking of immigration stuff. Do you remember in 2016 where our president was like, what happened? All these people that were put on a plane to be deported suddenly got American citizenship. Remember, it was like 600, 800, actually 1500. It was that lot that was waiting to get deported. And suddenly they got Social Security numbers and passports and nobody knows where they are. And the question was, well, wait a minute. If you gave them citizenship, how do you not know where they are? They got a passport, driver's license, Social Security number. You could track anybody down, but you can't track them. That's going to be coming. It's going to be funny to see if... Uh, all those will be now deported and barred entry that have passports and social security numbers. Because I, I, I don't see how that mistake happened. Remember how, oh, that was done by mistake. Well, if it was done by mistake, take it back. Yeah, no, so we're not going to do that. Really, we're going to see a change in the demographics in Minnesota quite soon. And I, I, I said that a year ago. I said that two years ago. And I'm saying it again. And now it's coming to fruition, you know. You know what's really weird is that um, the media, the media, let me tell you something about the media. There's everybody saying all these corporations, you know, there's six corporations that own the media. Well, 
There's one arm on this planet, one group, one little group of people. It's not little. It's pretty big that literally control communication. And, And they meet annually in secret. Sometimes people get whiff of it and people are, oh, the Bilderberg meeting. You know, history comes from it that it was actually implemented at the Bilderberg Hotel. But, you know, my subscribers will know this the minute that's up because I go into it in detail because they are responsible for the communications, the flow of communication. Yes, corporations, of course, because all of them have corporations. We're talking they're the strongest people on this planet, right? They control what you know, what you see, what you want, what you don't like. Speaking of control and media, it's imp- I, I want you guys to listen to Concha making the case that Fox should host the Democratic debate um, after CBS totally failed. Um, take a listen. Because it's just not true. Senator Sanders right. has got people believing something. That- Mr. Vice President, I was mentioned in this. No. I'd, like, I'd like to respond. No, there Go ahead, Senator. Yeah, I'm not out of time. You spoke over time and I'm going to talk. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Joe takes charge over the din. It was a clash in Charleston during last night's Democratic debate as it seemed like everybody was talking at the same time. Nobody was in control of the CBS News Democratic debate. Uh, here to react and give his assessment as media reporter for The Hill, Joe Concha. Uh, Joe, <laughs> last night, I guess there were two objectives. One, continue to hurt Bloomberg if you're the opponent. Mm-hmm. And number one, uh, damage Bernie because he's about to run away with this. Were either things accomplished? Bernie got out with maybe a skin knee, flesh wound, but overall he wasn't hit too hard. Elizabeth Warren has a big problem with Michael Bloomberg. She doesn't seem to with Bernie Sanders, maybe because she only knows that the only way she's getting into the White House is if she gets a VP nod. Look, at CBS, give them credit because they somehow in this polarizing country, unified the left and the right in universal criticism of this thing. That was like watching The View. It was. And, and, you know, Whoopi at least has control of that romper room. She knows when to put people in a timeout. They ran roughshod over the time allotted. And why have five moderators when two or three will suffice? And, And in the end, Tom Perez, the DNC chairman, said Fox News shouldn't get a debate. And I'm not saying this because I'm on this channel right now. Right. The harshest critics of this network in 2016 said the debate team here did a better job than anybody else and they'd actually get tough questions on things like coronavirus for instance the most relevant story this week 83 minutes into that debate until we saw one question on coronavirus sure and so the dnc did not give Fox any of the debates, right. but we did a town hall with Amy Klobuchar, and we did one with uh, Bernie Buttigieg Sanders and Bernie Sanders, who is the number top one person three. right now. All That's exactly top right. three out of Iowa and New Hampshire, and Ooh. they did, they, they second guess our viewers. Our viewers are centrist. Our viewers are independents. We have a lot of Democrats that watch Fox News. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pew Research showed that there are more people that aren't conservatives and Republicans that watch Fox News than those who do. And if We're you the want number to reach, one channel. Why wouldn't they want to be on the number one news channel and particularly in those states that matter right let's face it uh, elections come down to seven states right. florida north carolina ohio wisconsin pennsylvania michigan and then throw in new hampshire or arizona but yeah you want to reach those people you should 
be on this network. And again, the Chris Wallaces and the Brett Bears and the Martha McCallums would ask actual real questions about the number one topic for voters, according to Gallup, that is taxes and the economy. And we barely saw, again, anything on that. They want to raise all these Democratic candidates trillions of dollars for social programs, and no one can explain how to pay for it. And again, we had two hours last night and almost nothing on that. One comment. I want Mike Bloomberg to somehow... Uh, rationalize his comment on farmers. No one's asked him about that, and that is the Midwest. I would think. We did get a, something on the soda ban last night, so we right. had that going on. By the, the way, Joe gulp. Biden, can you take credit for every bill and every law that was written? Right. I think it loses its impact after a while. Ask him, was, why did you make up a story of being arrested in South Africa because of the, the imprisonment of Nelson Mandela? Nobody could squeeze that question out. Well, you know, there's a little bit truth to that. So... A lot of people don't seem to understand that these insurgents, right, had been held accountable before. That's um, that's something very interesting because it wasn't random what he said. It was not random what he said. Because in the past, nations across the planet had tried to hold them accountable. Nations across the planet, people throughout time have tried to capture and hold them accountable. Remember, Putin has put out a warrant for Soros's arrest. I'm just saying. He's not, he wasn't lying. It just seems that all the timelines are colliding. You know, it does take a toll on the brain. It does. After so long of, you know, looking through the lens it does but here's something that i discussed over the weekend on my show and it's so incredible that it came out um where mike bloomberg yesterday actually admitted to buying the control over president trump during the midterm and Let's I just go on the record they talk about- kind of feel really bad that my show wasn't up early as they see told you um because this is the reality they buy everything listen on the record, they talked about 40 Democrats, 21 of those were people that I spent $100 million to help elect. <laughs> the, all of the new Democrats that came in and put Nancy Pelosi in charge and gave the Congress the ability to control this president, I, bought, I, I got them. Number two. I bought them. I bought them, got them, bought them, got them. Yes, he did. Because guess who Bloomberg is? Well, Bloomberg Philanthropies, right? Darn these NGOs, right? Darn these nonprofits. Darn, darn. Do you know that he, Bloomberg Philanthropies is a founding member of the Council of Foreign Relations? I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> uh, what happens when the people wake up? What happens when they see, you know, Nygaard was part of it too, so was Bacon, Right. These are the things that are coming to light. Oh boy, are they running like roaches. And this is something (laughs) that is pretty incredible for us. We're living in amazing, in an amazing time, you guys. This is an amazing time. This is the time where we get to see what has been really going on. You know, uh, I saw um, a tweet someone sent me. Hey, why wasn't Kramer voting? Why wasn't... Okay, so he was actually traveling because he's on the um, military um, 
Senate um, Armed Forces Committee, and he was busy dealing with the helicopter sales, India, and all that. So he was actually in flight. Pretty convenient how they do it. So close to all these dates, just to make sure that they have enough, but not enough. But it's the people that were there that you need to ask, what were they doing in the Senate? The people that were there, those were three people missing. What about the other people? What did they do? How did they do? Which way did they vote? Maybe it's not time to help them. Is this like 4D chess? No, it's just corruption making its face known. That is what exactly is being done right now. Corruption is rearing its head and it's telling you exactly what it wants to do. Now, everyone's waiting for the House GOP uh, to come out uh, with a live press conference in the next 15 minutes. Um, it's going to be pretty interesting uh, to see what they have to say. I'm actually quite, um, I'm anticipating to see if they will come forward with um, some more information. Now, Speaking of some more information, do you, I, I know a lot of you are asking me to talk about the coronavirus and um, if you, if you think of it this way, if you are scared of it and if your fear is, is, is embodied in you, then it's your reality. The coronavirus, I told you, falls in the same category as that cat disease. Remember what I told you about the inoculations, the avian flu using avian cells, piggy flu using piggy cells. Makes total sense, right? I'm just saying not to push that anymore yet. The president will lead the way in how we are going to be speaking about this. But on the other hand, I want us to hear how Tucker Carlson analyzes this uh, coronavirus and how people are saying that it's completely under control. Uh, global leaders are saying it. And yesterday I actually mentioned that Greece didn't have any victim. Actually one popped up today. Oh, listen to this. Listen to this. Not a Greek that came from Italy to Greece. So they're sending people to inoculate them when they're, uh, you know, to inoculate the virus to like, you know, bring it in. Just not inoculation is to, prevent you from spreading it, but it's also harboring it so that you can prevent it too. It, it makes, it's the same word that you use. The inoculation period is the growth period. And it also, that's why they say they give you the dead virus. So that way you can build immunity to the dead virus. So you can recognize the virus, but th they wanted to infect people. So they sent an inoculated person that was just exposed to it in order to penetrate the territory. Again, targeted genetics codes, targeted people, specific bloodlines, just saying. Just declared a state of emergency in response to coronavirus. And yet you'll remember that for a month, Western leaders told us that the virus was under control and was unlikely to cause serious problems for anyone in our hemisphere. None of that was true, but saying it was less painful than rethinking the failed theology of globalism. So they went with it. Meanwhile, in China, an aggressively nationalist country that, if nothing else, definitely doesn't hate itself, authorities acted immediately and with force. With military-grade discipline, they shut down the city of Wuhan, home to 11 million people. The rest of the world watched this happen in real time, but yet assured themselves that everything was fine. It wasn't fine. We know that now. 
At least 35 countries have confirmed cases of coronavirus as of tonight. Last Friday, Italy reported six. Yet at midday today, they had 283. And then by tonight, that number had risen to 322. That is a steep trajectory. So far, 11 people have died in Italy and parts of the country are shutting down. Iran has confirmed 15 deaths plus 95 cases, though the real number is believed to be higher than that. One of those infected is the country's own deputy health minister, who was seen sweating profusely on Monday at a press conference downplaying the outbreak. He later appeared on an Iranian news program to reassure the country that everything was under control, and then he coughed on the woman interviewing him. In this country, there are more than 50 confirmed cases. Today, the Centers for Disease Control confirmed that a generalized outbreak is inevitable here. Quote, it's not a question of if this will happen, but when. Officials warned Americans to be ready for severe disruptions to their lives. Include dividing students into smaller groups or in a severe pandemic, closing schools and using Internet-based teleschooling to continue education. For adults, businesses can replace in-person meetings with video or telephone conferences and increase teleworking options. On a larger scale, communities and cities may need to modify, postpone, or cancel mass gatherings. I just wanted to say, this is Nancy Messonnier. She is uh, Rod Rosenstein's sister. Yeah, she's the one talking about this. Disruption to everyday life may be severe. But these are things that people need to start thinking about now. People are concerned about this situation. I would say rightfully so. I'm concerned about this situation. CDC is concerned about this situation. So what exactly will a coronavirus pandemic mean for this country? Well, of course, you can't really say. It's impossible to predict with, pre with precision. But here's one forecast that caught our eye. It's from The Atlantic. It's titled, You're Likely to Get the Coronavirus. The piece quotes extensively a Harvard epidemiologist. The article describes him as a cautious professional, the kind of person who carefully considers every word and then backs it with data. What the professor told the magazine is this, quote, I think the likely outcome is that coronavirus will ultimately not be containable. He went on to predict that in the next year, 40 to 70 percent of the people on Earth will be infected with coronavirus. Now, not all of them will become ill. Many, he says, will be asymptomatic or feel no worse than they do with a cold. But nevertheless, 70 percent of the world's population is a big number. In fact, it's 5.4 billion people. Currently, the coronavirus appears to kill about 2% of the people who have it. So let's be generous for a moment and imagine that asymptomatic carriers are not detected and the real death rate is only, say, half a percent. That would be one quarter of the current estimates. Even under that scenario, there would still be 27 million deaths from coronavirus globally. In this country, more than a million would die. And according to The Atlantic, many experts fear this may not be a one-off epidemic. Cold and flu season could become cold flu and coronavirus season for the foreseeable future. Will that happen? Well, obviously, we're praying that it doesn't. But we know one thing. Right now, as of tonight, America is not ready for this or for any major epidemic. Thanks to the CDC's flawed rollout of coronavirus testing, few locations in this country are even prepared to monitor coronavirus. And the economy, of course, isn't prepared either. The Dow Jones just fell close to 900 points today. That's on top of yesterday's 1,000-point drop. Overall, U.S. markets are down 8 to 9% compared to earlier this month. If that continues, it's not good. 
Yeah, let's take the economy, take out 27 million people across the globe with a flu that you've probably already had coronavirus, I'm just saying. Um, a form of coronavirus, because this one is the 19 version, right? You have to look at what they're telling you. Um, you know, I'm a cat lady, so I'm good. <laughs> per se, cat lady. So I'm good. But this is how they terrorize you. You know, what's incredible is, is that I, I don't think people um, realize the fear politics that are being used. I mean, even Ingram talked about sounding the alarm um, on her show. Take a listen to this. But first, I've been warning for weeks and weeks to keep an eye on the coronavirus that's spreading from China to countries around the world. My concern was that I didn't trust what China was saying about it. And some breaking news to report on the virus tonight. The U.S. military just announced moments ago that one of its soldiers based in South Korea did test positive for this new virus, the first U.S. service member to be infected. Now, I'm going to take you through how all this unfolded today. At roughly noon, with the president out of the country, the CDC began sounding this alarm. Disruption to everyday life may be severe, but these are things that people need to start thinking about now. People are concerned about the situation. I would say rightfully so. Working with China very much on the virus, we feel that's... Okay, so I skipped on that, but before we hear what the... Uh, well, you know what? I don't want to interrupt the president. Let's listen to what the president said. We're working with China very much on the virus. We feel that's something. And I, I have to tell, I spoke to President Xi the other day. He is so committed to solving that problem. He is, he is working very hard. He is very capable. The country is very capable. And uh, it snuck up on him, but I think he's going to do well. Snuck up on him? I mean, I don't know what to say about that. Well, it was measured, and it was diplomatic. And he's on the world stage, so we like that. But I sure wouldn't trust China on this issue at all, for starters. We still don't know what sparked this epidemic. And Chinese censors have also been scrubbing the Internet of any real information about what's going on within their own borders. But don't count on the WHO for any help on this. They're basically complicit, in my view, in what China has been doing to cover this up. We look at, OK, the rest of the world would be access the expertise of China. <laughs> and the, you know, they've done this at scale. They know what they're doing. Um, and uh, they're really, really good at it. And they're really keen to help. If I had COVID-19, I want to be treated in, in China. Oh, well, why don't you go over there and get, just stay in China if it's so fun over there. Despite all of this, of course, the president and his team do have to prepare for the possibility of outbreaks here in the United States. It's a virus. Viruses travel. Today, his working group was back in Washington, and it got into the specifics. The immediate risk to the general American public remains low. But as we have warned, that has the potential to change quickly. There is now community transmission in a number of countries, including outside of Asia. That's deeply concerning. The usual and appropriate care for most patients who develop the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 would be management at home. Okay, did you hear that? Novel coronavirus, meaning we have coronavirus is just a new strain. And that's true because 
um, viruses mutate, you guys. But I want you guys to know something, okay? They're saying that we can have 100,000 people dead from this, right? Oh my gosh, that's, 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 a, that's a big chunk, right? That, that is a lot of people. But in, in the US, I'm not talking globally, right? So they're saying, but did you know that in 2018, 80,000 people died from the regular flu? I'm just saying, right? Just saying. Did you know that um, uh, the um, H1N flu, H1N1 flu um, caused only 20,000 deaths? That was really bad because now people are susceptible to porcine diseases in general. Now, you know who is most susceptible? And I'll tell you what. It's people that have asthma, diabetics, people that have chronic conditions, cancer, COPD, uh, you know, uh, emphysema, people that are prone to respiratory uh, infections. Like for me, I've had a cold before and maybe because I've uh, been, you know, because I like to smoke or whatever that I'm more susceptible, I'll have that cough for like a long time. And just so you all know, I I just wanted to point this out because a lot of people don't know this, (laughs) is that when you have a respiratory virus and you're coughing and coughing and coughing, do you know after a little point, about a week into it with the cough and the, 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 the nose running and the all ickiness, after a point, you're coughing just because you have a tickle cough. Do you know what that is? That's actually stomach irritation. I just wanted to tell you guys that. So if ever you come to have a cold and then, you know, it stop with the whole, you know, yuckiness and the chucking up a lung part and you're still like coughing to the point where you're having fits, it's nine times out of 10 irritation of your throat and nine times out of 10, it's from like, um, you know, GERD type things, stomach acid that you don't even realize that are at the mouth opening of your stomach, right? Uh, at the top, right? The fundus. (laughs) Um, so I, ju- I just wanted to say, uh, this isn't a big deal. This is a new strain of coronavirus. And for some reason, people are blowing it up. And it could be targeted, just done so, uh, to create chaos. Uh, yeah, everyone's going to get it at some point. Everybody gets the flu. But, you know, if you feel like, you know, the new push for a vaccine is something you need to do, then go ahead. I'm going to take a hard pass because our bodies are miraculous machines that can do so much better. Now, on that note, um, I, we're going to be shifting gears right after this break. So stay tuned. We're going to move this along to another direction. A direction of what's coming in in March. Welcome back. Like I said, we're going to be shifting gears to talk about what's to come, but something that we've known about since 2018. And um, But before we do that, I want you guys to listen to how President Trump is blaming his critics for spreading panic about the coronavirus. This is very important. So you have to think, I told you who's in control of communications. Think, why is it? that they have a problem. And the problem is, is that we have identified the vector. We have identified the vehicle in which this group of persons 
that are the mitigators between humanity and them have been made. We made their method known. We understand it. We knew it. Now we have the power to fix it. So what do they do? They create disruption. Take a listen. Hold on. Let's put this there. Such as the novel coronavirus. By prioritizing funding for CDC's infectious disease programs and maintaining investments in hospital preparedness. The immediate risk to the American public remains low, but there is now community transmission in a number of countries, including outside of Asia, which is deeply concerning. And we will be learning more about the administration's response in just a few hours when the president will be holding a news conference just announced this morning on the coronavirus. All of this coming amid growing concerns about the deadly outbreak and criticism over the way it's been handled. David Spunt is live at the White House ahead of that uh, news conference this evening. Hey, David. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. We know President Trump will hold that news conference at six o'clock tonight. We don't know any more about the specific venue or where or how he'll answer questions. But we can tell you this topic is of growing concern to President Trump and his team here at the White House. No question. It's an issue they are focused on. Shortly after landing at Joint Base Andrew this morning from a long flight from India, President Trump took to Twitter. He tweeted about the coronavirus, blaming news outlets for trying to worry the American people. He says they are, quote, panicking markets if possible. Likewise, they're incompetent. Do nothing. Democrat comrades are all talk. No action. USA in great shape. President Trump mentions the CDC and announced that news conference tonight with CDC representatives at six o'clock. Now, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar testifying before Congress this morning for a second day. You see a live picture right now answering questions about coronavirus. We got House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, though, at the Capitol this morning. So what he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer announced this morning he wants $8.5 billion to go toward coronavirus spending. But a senior administration official says the White House would not accept this specific proposal. According to that official, the government right now has adequate resources needed to battle the virus. The administration sent a $2.5 billion supplemental package to the Hill for this issue. Administration officials believe right now that's just adequate. We are seeing more and more transmissions in other countries. And the more you see outside of the United States the greater the risk of this spilling over into the United States. Okay, now here's where we're going to be. I want you guys to focus on what their issue is. He's sending $2.5 billion to reinforce to have preparedness. They're asking for $8.5 billion. We have one of the heads of the National Institute of Health up there asking for money. This is where money goes dark. This is black money. And that money can be used against you and I. That money can be used to do other things. This is why he said no. Read the proposal and see how as see fit is put forward. That is a dark black hole where you cannot control, you cannot see, and you cannot follow. Health is the only thing you cannot buy. Health is the only thing you cannot manipulate no matter how many dollars you have after a certain point, of course, right? Because you could buy new hearts, new parts, you know, bodies, whatever. But you can't 
really fix it. So this is something that you wouldn't be coming back from easily. And Pelosi was in Chinatown yesterday. I'm pointing out a few factors that people need to look at. Your eyes are drawn naturally to the light. This is a flicker. This tells you what you need to know. So the risk, as I mentioned, right now today is still low. Yesterday, White House officials met with 40 representatives from across the country to talk about coronavirus. Despite any rumors that there's a rift between the Centers for Disease Control and Trump administration, an official here says that's just false. President Trump and members of the administration will continue to discuss coronavirus. Of course, we'll be watching that news conference tonight at six o'clock here from the White House. And, you know, now we're going to move into the global politics and see how what we've been talking about for two years are happening. But before I mention that, remember, there is a congressional CDC, a nonprofit CDC, a Center for Disease Control that is controlled only by Congress. I urge you to take a look at that. Now, let's listen. Well, yeah. First, let's listen to Pompeo talking about how Syria's offensive in Idlib is just provoking Turkey, conflict with Turkey. Remember how Russia and Syria are trying to keep Turkey out of Idlib and Idlib is that that strategic point throughout time that if you take, you take the Eastern Mediterranean, the one that people are fighting tooth and nail to make sure that Turkey doesn't get Turkey's like, yeah, we're going to go in there and get rid of them. Why are you going to get rid of them? It's not yours. It's Syrian. But listen to what Pompeius is so awesome. This guy is awesome. I also want to speak briefly about the situation in Syria's Idlib province, the Assad regime's brutal new aggression there. Cynically backed by Moscow and Tehran, it perils now more than three million displaced persons, including, as we've tragically seen, young people. As we've said many times before, the regime will not be able to obtain military victory. The, regime is, the regime's offensive only heightens the risk of conflict with our NATO ally Turkey. The answer is a permanent ceasefire and UN-led negotiations under UN Security Council Resolution 2254. As President Trump said on Tuesday, we are working together with Turkey on seeing what we can do together. Finally, as I've said many times, uh, and most recently during my meeting with Foreign Minister Lavrov in Munich, meddling in our elections is unacceptable. The Trump administration will always work to protect the integrity of our elections, period, full stop. Should Russia or any foreign actor take steps to undermine our democratic processes, we will take action in response. And Russian election interference isn't a problem unique to America. Russians have been sowing division and trust among uh, citizens of the United States and other countries from Belarus to Zimbabwe. Options being considered by the United States to respond. So first, we have to be realistic. We're proud of our gains, but our generals have determined that this war is unlikely to be won militarily without tremendous additional resources. All sides are tired of fighting. We've arrived at a historic opportunity for peace. Won't be easy. To obtain, we should seize the moment. Then there's restraint. We're currently in a seven-day reduction in violence period that started on February 22nd. In 19 years of war, this is the first week-long break in violence by all sides if we're successful in achieving it. If and only if it's successful, we will sign the U.S.-Taliban agreement coordinated with the Government of National Unity on or about February 29th. That includes a timeline for both a conditions-based and phased troop withdrawal 
and for the commencement of intra-Afghan negotiations. These negotiations, if they take place, will be the first time that Afghans representing all sides of the conflict will sit down together and begin the hard work of reconciliation. Lastly, respect. The Taliban must respect the agreement specifically regarding the promises of severing ties with terrorists. We're not required to leave unless they can demonstrate they're fulfilling every element of their end of the bargain. This agreement also entails respect for the Afghan people. It's a declaration that the future of their country resides in their hands, not ours. Do you have any thoughts about the passing of uh, Hosni Mubarak in Egypt? And then second... So first, uh, respect our condolences to the family of, of, of Mr. Mubarak. Uh, our, our mission set there has been to work with the current government to develop a better partnership with Egypt. We continue to, to work on that. As for what the intra-Afghan negotiations will yield if we get to that point, I think we're all eyes wide open about the complexity and the challenges. There's a reason it's been this long since they've sat at the table together. They have uh, deeply divergent views. Uh, but I am confident that the wide range of, of persons who ought to have a seat at the table and who ought to have the capacity to yield an Afghanistan government that uh, is formed out of this consensus will address all of the issues that you discussed. The negotiations take place. But President Bush, Laura Bush, and the, the United States effort is to let the Afghans lead this process. And uh, they'll come up with a resolution that is, I'm sure, uniquely theirs, just like every nation across the world does. The, the United States has expended enormous, an enormous amount of life this. And we are now on the cusp of having an opportunity, which may not succeed, but an opportunity for the first time to let the Afghan people's voices be heard. I am confident that voices all across the Afghan political spectrum, the voices of women, the voices of minorities, the voices from uh, all the different tribes and sects and political views, I'm confident all those voices will go into the ultimate solution. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, so first of all, let's talk Turkey. Did you guys know that as all this turmoil is happening, it just so happens that another earthquake happens right by the Turkey-Iran border, 5.8. Pretty weird, right? Not only that, Turkey has vowed to drive Syrian forces back to Idlib when Idlib is Syrian, but listen to them. Syrian troops on the move. Idlib province is the holdout, the one place President Bashar al-Assad is yet to claim. But village by village, it's coming within reach. Um, isn't Bashar the president of Syria? Isn't Syria his? So why is Turkey saying he's not allowed to have it? We are carrying on towards more villages of Mount Zawiyah. We are still in actions towards Ariha village, in spite of the Turkish support to our enemy, using foreign arms and ammunition. These Russian-backed Syrian government soldiers are fighting Turkish-backed rebels. Now Turkey is facing a challenge with its observation posts in the province surrounded. And President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has ordered his troops to push back. Russia does not want to accept humanitarian sensitivity. The time that we gave to those who besieged our observation posts is ending. We are preparing plans to liberate observation posts from the surrounding forces by the end of February, one way or another. He also warned that Turkey will attack government forces anywhere in Syria if another Turkish soldier is injured. 16 have been killed in Syria this month. 
His speech came as a Russian delegation arrived in Turkey to discuss the crisis in Idlib, although President Vladimir Putin has ruled out a summit with the Turkish, German and French leaders. The fight for control of the province has forced nearly a million people from their homes since early December. The UN says more than half of the people now living in places like this are children. We left Aria about 20 days ago. We left under airstrikes with only the clothes on our backs. We were left out in the open and spent some time under trees. We went towards the city of Al-Bab, but we didn't find any place to live and no one who would let us stay on their land. In the nine years since the war began, many people have fled front lines for the relative safety of Idlib. Now the front line has come to them. They are increasingly squeezed against the border with Turkey as Syrian forces inch forward shelling residential areas. Erdogan has intervened, worried about another potential refugee crisis. We are not going to take even a little step back in Idlib. We will push the Syrian regime forces out of the area that we designated and let people return back to their houses. But for now, that's not an option. At least 26 people, including school children, were killed and more than 100 injured this week. Oh, and I just wanted to say the white helmets are there. Like, legit, the white helmets are there. Like, they're wearing shirts that say the white helmets are there. The White Helmets Rescue Group says eight schools and kindergartens were deliberately targeted with cluster bombs. Syrian forces have captured dozens of towns and villages, and any pushback by Turkey may leave residents in the crossfire. Charlotte Bellis, Al Jazeera. So, uh, Turkey wants Idlib. Turkey has designated the area and Syria just needs to get it that, yeah, you may be the Syrian president, you may want this, but I call the shots because I am Erdogan and that's not happening and Russia's not letting it happen and it is all coming to a standstill. Now, while we were listening to those developments, the House GOP leaders came out to make a statement, and these look like your odd pick of GOP leaders, and I want you guys to take a listen. This is interesting. We're learning more about the threat that this virus poses. Uh, it's very important for everyone to understand that we are united. Uh, this is not a partisan issue. We believe, uh, the House Republicans certainly, that we have a duty uh, to make sure that the nation is prepared. Uh, our nation has uh, more resources than any other nation in the world to be able to address uh, whatever threat uh, coronavirus poses, uh, but it's going to require bipartisan action. This is not a time for partisanship. Uh, pathogens do not respect party lines, and it's very important for all of us to come together and to work together to make sure that we're prepared. Uh, I think we have a, a duty to do that. It's a patriotic duty. Uh, we do have the very best infrastructure in the nation, we have in the world, we have the very best uh, ability to uh, innovate, the very best ability to develop uh, whatever responses are necessary, but it's got to happen on a bipartisan basis. And uh, I, I think it's absolutely clear as House Republicans uh, that we are going to be prepared to stand behind and support whatever resources are necessary for this to work closely with the president. Uh, to work across the aisle with our Democratic colleagues, uh, and, and we would urge our Democratic colleagues to do the same. Uh, as uh, we all are focused on uh, coronavirus uh, and on the threat that that's posing, 
Uh, we also are obviously watching what's happening in the presidential race and uh, just had a debate last night. And in particular, as we watch Senator Sanders uh, continue to be in the lead uh, on the Democratic side, we think it's very important to remind people at all times what, what Senator Sanders stands for, uh, how radical his views are, uh, the extent to which he embraces socialism, and what, what the facts and the realism really are. Socialism extinguishes freedom. There's simply no question about that. Uh, the, the stories that you're hearing from Senator Sanders about some how socialism providing power to the people are absolutely wrong, absolutely untrue, and uh, history absolutely demonstrates the devastation of socialism across the world. Um, there's nobody who understands this more uh, than people whose families came to the United States uh, from Cuba in particular. And uh, in contrast to Senator... Okay, I just want to stop right there and give you guys a little bit of a tidbit of information. So... I want you guys to know that back up a long, long time ago in 2012, right, um, a Saudi dude was actually admitted into a hospital in Saudi Arabia. He was sick. He had a fever, shortness of breath, you know, typical respiratory. No history of smoking, no renal issues. He, you know, he didn't have like, you know, cardiac insufficiency or anything like that. Well, uh, they isolated his you know, oh, how do I say this without, okay. So this is 2012, right? So a virologist actually took, um, specimens and it turned out that, um, what was identified was a coronavirus, a lung coronavirus, so that was in 2012. Now that um, sample was sent to the kingdom of the Netherlands um, and they wanted to like check to see how it was done. So this sample of this coronavirus uh, was sent to Canada and it was actually sent to Canada right across the border from North Dakota, right? I think it was like outside of Winnipeg or maybe in Winnipeg. So that one was there in 2013 under the kingdom of the Netherlands, the same kingdom that requested the first Bilderberg meeting. I'm just saying at the Bilderberg hotel. So anyway, so it was there when it was now, um, what's really weird. Okay. Is that last year. So now we're talking 2019. Maybe this is why it's called novel 19. Uh, a mysterious package was caught smuggling the coronavirus from Canada. Now, that package was actually tracked to agents of a Chinese biological warfare program. And that is where the virus is suspected to have leaked from Wuhan. So, I just wanted to say, if we knew that last year... And we have that from 2012 because you have to think about it. Uh, what is Canadian media, media saying? Is Canadian media telling people to go freak out? They're telling people, four people confirmed Canada's second case of the novel, novel, new, new coronavirus. Why are they calling it new when they had it in their lab? Think. Hmm. Pretty interesting. Where else do we smuggle uranium from? Oh, yeah, from the U.S. it goes to Canada and then goes to wherever. Right? Uh-huh. What else do we smuggle 
through Canada. So this is going to get very, very interesting, very, very fast in regards to the coronavirus. Um, we're going to hear a lot about it. And yeah, we all might get sick, just like we all might have gotten sick from the swine flu and the avian flu and SARS and, 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 and. Because people travel. Maybe we should close the border to make sure people don't come in coughing around everywhere. I don't know. Let's listen to what else our GOP members had to say. Let me skip Senator over. Sanders, who seems... Her. If anybody wants to know the devastation of socialism and the tyranny that often is uh, accompanied by socialism, I invite you to come and speak to some of my constituents, including the thousands, thousands of former, politi- former political prisoners and the relatives, by the way, of current political prisoners who are languishing in Cuba's prisons just because they've had the courage to speak for freedom or speak out against the regime. Now, you know, this is not new, what uh, Senator Sanders said the other day. It's, it's, it's been kind of like the calling card from the progressive movement in the United States for a long, long time. But I remind the Senator uh, and the progressive movement that the Castro regime is a threat, not only, by the way, to the national security of the United States, but also to all of the democracies in this hemisphere. This regime has been on the list of state sponsors of terrorism for many years for its support of other terrorist states and organized terrorist groups. We can mention a number of them, but we would not have enough time to do so. Let me just remind the senator of something else. In 2013, the Cuban regime was caught smuggling weapons to North Korea in the largest violation of international sanctions against that country. It has been propping up the Maduro regime in Venezuela with thousands of intelligence operations, uh, operatives, um, and again, in opposing the Venezuelan people's desire uh, for freedom and democracy. The, the Cuban regime has been harboring fugitives from U.S. justice, including the FBI's most wanted terrorist, John Chessmond, uh, Chessimund, and again, uh, terrorist bomb maker William Morales. That never seems to come up with our friends who apologize Skip for the Castro. One second, because we're Just running out of time. Um, I love the fact that he's wearing his Ashes Proud. Um, I'm not a Catholic. We, we don't do Ash Wednesday, and our Lent doesn't start yet for me, but I'm proud that he does this. People of just how devastating the Castro regime and socialist regime. I don't understand why the GOP is holding a conference on socialism. You know, I, again, I'm going to say this, that socialism has been coming in in an installment plan. We are a welfare state. Socialists control labor unions, um, and they use their money to push their legislative agenda. That's how they work. And although they're yapping, oh, we're Democrats, we love democracy, the real gold is a one-world government under the control of those that know better for you. And this is how, this is in fact what the International Socialist Society or the Socialist International is. And they coordinate with the other agencies that I told you earlier, which is the Club of Rome, the Bilderbergs, the Trilateral Commission, and the Council of Foreign Relations, all funneling under the hierarchy. And Lucius Group... Is one to look at. I'm just saying, like, you know, do people actually think 
that socialism is just going to, you're going to wake up one day and it's just going to be there? No. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.